all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 266 of the SLS Cast. This week's episode brought to you by Markitect Media. Check out Markitect on Twitch Saturday through Thursday, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Central Standard Time at twitch.tv slash Markitect. That's twitch.tv slash Markitect. And yes, this is also the trilogy of error episodes of the SLS Cast, because it turns out that uh, the 18th episode of The Simpsons' 12th season, which aired on uh, April 29th, 2001, was called The Trilogy of Error. And it was the 266th episode of The Simpsons. And with that wonderfully, wonderfully amazing episode 266 knowledge and sponsorship, what's up, y'all? I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. We did it, Matthew. We made it big. We made it to the big times. We are now getting paid (laughs) $500,000 a piece to be sponsored by Markitect. Yes, and that's in Zimbabwean dollars, by the way. Yes, which uh, turns out to be $5.95. Yes, yes, you know, uh, before tax. Before tax, yearly. (laughs) So, yeah, so um, that's right. So it, it, it is true. We really and truly do have a sponsor. Uh, and so this is really cool for us. This is this is new territory. And um, we have a good friend uh, or a good friend for me that I have uh, known through my gaming and stuff. And uh, it's my buddy Mark over at Markitect Media. And he does do lots of different gaming. And we're even going to have a commercial. It's going to be really cool. And, um, yeah, so this is really fun. I- I'm really excited. We're, we're going to have a sponsor for the next four episodes or so. Cool. And, and what an episode he chose to kick off his sponsorship. Because, folks, <laughs> you're, you're listening to us in the raw. You're listening to us naked. Because one thing uh, or another happened... Uh, like Valentine's Day snuck up on us, and we're having to mm-hmm. record this the day it was supposed to come out. I have no joke. So this is definitely going to be a very quickly but professionally put together episode. And um, I guess since we have so much to do and so little time to do it in, should we just go ahead and do it? Get right down to the nitty gritty. Yeah, I think we should do it. All right, let's do some news, folks, because it's time for. The news! Yes, and first up from me, from MSN.com, by way of The Rap and Beatrice Verhoeven. Quentin Tarantino apologizes to Roman Polanski victim, quote, 15 years later, I realize how wrong I was, end quote. Uh, that's right. It says here that uh, Quentin Tarantino has apologized to Roman Polanski's victim, Samantha Geimer, for comments he made in 2003 that the incident was not, quote, rape, end quote, but that Geimer, quote, wanted to have it, end quote. And here is his apology, and this is all I'm going to read from here, because, of course, we probably saw this coming. 
He writes, quote, I want to publicly apologize to Samantha Geimer for my cavalier remarks on The Howard Stern Show, speculating about her and the crime that was committed against her. Fifteen years later, I realize how wrong I was. Miss Geimer was raped by Roman Polanski. When Howard brought up Polanski, I incorrectly played devil's advocate in the debate for the sake of being provocative. I didn't take Miss Geimer's feelings into consideration, and for that, I am truly sorry. So, Miss Geimer, I was ignorant and insensitive, and above all, incorrect. I am sorry, Samantha. End all quotes there. Uh, that is about almost the first half of the article there. It's a pretty short piece. But again, msn.com by way of the rap and Beatrice Verhoeven. Quentin Tarantino apologizes to Roman Polanski victim. Please check that out. Tim, um, are you surprised at all by this seeming, seeming about face, as it were? I, I kind of think Tarantino's turning a new leaf in some way because I really never thought of him being so openly apologetic about things ever uh he usually stands by his guns and i um i i'm kind of it's it's good seeing him do this because he is a very liberal guy he's not very conservative and i think a lot of people were calling him out on that over the years maybe not publicly but i've definitely had conversations with people who 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 felt that way um but i i kind of forgot cuz i know we talked about him uh, his Howard Stern appearance last week on last week's yes. episode. And where mm -hmm. did we stand on that? Because I think it might be only fair to bring that up. Well, I mean, we, we kind of, me more than you, because, you know, I talked a lot. <laughs> um, we kind of ran the gamut of really the whole position across the board of where the, you know, of where... Uh, the victim versus the accuser stands, how people are attacking any kind of position that seemingly goes against whatever the narrative du jour can be. Um, and it, and again, that's not to say that we excuse any bad behavior or anything like that, but definitely Tarantino has been getting his, um, I guess, um, I don't necessarily, fair share is not the right word, but definitely his time in the spotlight right now uh, regarding things like this Polanski issue, of course, also with the Uma Thurman stuff. And so I remember that even I had said that, you know, the interview was 15 years ago and maybe he's changed his position in 15 years. And so let's give him a chance to respond. And this is what he, this is what he responded with. So... I also, I'm like you, good on you. You know what? Uh, you recognize that, um, you, you, just because you have a position, regardless of why you took the position the vast majority of the time, um, you can, you can learn and grow. You can admit mistakes and come out the other side. And I do, and I do hope that this puts this portion of, um, Tarantino's troubles to bed. So, and I don't mean to be get all political here, but I wonder if part of him's like, well, I'd really want Trump to apologize for what he said on the Howard Stern show, you know, 15 years ago also. So <laughs> setting a good example, maybe Tarantino, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but given the whole Polanski thing, it's going to be definitely interesting to see how he handles his upcoming movie, which is about the Sharon Tate murders. And I'm pretty sure Roman Polanski is going to play a part in some, somehow, some form or fashion, uh, 
because I, I guess in some way Tarantino's still an admirer of uh, of uh, Polanski's work, at least. So it'll be interesting to see if he takes a certain position or not on 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 like humanizing Polanski in any in any way. Um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting though. All right, so the for first sure. news article for me. Via TechCrunch.com, MoviePass cuts price for teaming up with Fandor on a bundled subscription deal. This here was posted on February 12th, and it was written by Sarah Perez. Um, real quick, though, Matt, have you heard of Fandor before, the streaming movie streaming website? It sounds vaguely familiar, like I may have passed over some information on it, but I could not tell you what it is. By any stretch of the imagination. I've read this article and I still can't remember what Fandor is, but I know <laughs> I know Chiller is the one that caters towards uh, horror movies. And I'm, I think maybe this one, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, so again, via TechCrunch.com, MoviePass cuts price by teaming up with Fandor on a bundled subscription deal. And it says this. The controversial subscription service for moviegoers MoviePass is still chasing new customers as it attempts to rapidly grow its user base before its funding runs out. After growing from 1.5 million to 2 million users in less than a month's time, the company has now teamed up with streaming service Fandor to appeal to potential subscribers with a bundled offer. Uh... I'm I'm reading from my phone, so it's doing funky phone things. We have to click here to finish reading the article. Yeah, it's funky. I'm not used to it. Uh, But continuing here, uh, the two companies announced a limited-time offer, which includes both a MoviePass and FanDuel subscription for less than $116 per year. However, some users were confused about the new pricing plan, uh, how the new pricing plan worked, like MoviePass says, the deal will lower the MoviePass subscription down to $7.95 per month from its usual $9.95 per month, but the full annual fee has to be paid up front, not monthly. The company hasn't decided how long before this offer expires, but it's not the first time that MoviePass has tried a bundle. The same offer was originally tested back in November 2017 and was well-received, says MoviePass. The Fandor subscription includes access to a collection of over 5,000 independent films, documentaries, classics, international features, and shorts. The deal arrives at, uh, at time when MoviePass's business model is being increasingly scrutinized. The company claims its users now drive more than 5% of the total box office and is co- uh, continuing to grow its user base. But MoviePass is subsidizing the cost of those tickets for now while betting on the fact that it will be able to monetize in other ways. Uh, The article does go on from there quite a bit more, uh, but I'll end it with saying that not all theater chains are thrilled with MoviePass still, however. 
MoviePass recently pulled out of several high-traffic AMC locations as the chain refused to negotiate on a rev-share deal, saying, quote, We already know in past testing that MoviePass subscribers are not theater loyal. They're happy to drive by a theater that may be closer to, uh, that may be a close... Uh, that may be closer to a theater that will accept MoviePass because of the MoviePass value, end quote. MoviePass majority owner HMNYS's CEO and chairman Ted Fansworth said, threatening AMC. Uh, and the article does continue. Matt. Yo. We both jumped on the MoviePass bandwagon before we had to pay a full year subscription up front. Uh, now Correct. that uh, you have to pay $115.35 per year, which in, which turns out to be $7.95 a month, would you still, you know, go for MoviePass? Or is that annual fee up front a turnoff? I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit torn. I do Netflix. That's pay by month. But I also do Amazon, which is also $100 a year. So, um... I guess it would just depend on how I like to budget things and stuff. I, I I don't see myself canceling MoviePass, but MoviePass has changed its um, terms of service two times in the last uh, three months. So that's why I'm kind of glad I'm still on month to month. Um, so it's I I I think that with as volatile as they are. I don't know that um I don't know that I'm 100% comfortable with paying yearly. Um you know, let's let, let's let's get them through a solid year. You know, let's let's talk about this again in August, right? When they've had this 999 plan or whatever this uh the as close to the current model as they had in August when they started this whole fiasco, I guess if you want to call it that. Um and then see where they are. Yes, Movie Pass has been around much longer than just this past year, but it was also a lot more expensive before this past year. And it um, was vastly different in scope and style than what everybody's come to know it as since August of last year. So I would say let's let's just get to August and then see whether or not it would pay off to do yearly subscriptions. That's my... That's what, my I, what I found very interesting about AMC... Because I know AMC, the theater chain, hates, hates movie pass. I, just, I don't understand why. I, yeah. I literally cannot because understand. Because they, they want their own subscription. They're, like, they're jealous. They want their own subscri- month-to-month subscription. Cinemark's phase. doing that. Cinemark's, Cinemark's doing their own thing. It's nowhere near worth what, you're, what they're asking. But at least they're offering something. Um, but what's great, it, though... Is that I, I did go to an AMC a couple weekends ago to go see Hostiles, and it was in a different part of town. And well, actually, before that, I found out that uh, uh, Movie Pass is not being accepted at an AMC Century City, I think. And I think it's the same with another LA uh, based movie theater. But I went I to this see, one movie theater. How do you, how do they deny that? No, I mean, no, Movie Pass card. is not do, letting people do it because Movie Pass is saying, uh, MoviePass firmly believes that 5% of MoviePass users make up the uh, movie theater going market or something. Sure. And so okay. I think right, they're right. saying, well, you have a high, uh, a, 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 
uh, a high uptick of movie goers at your AMC Century City location. So we're going to remove their ability to use MoviePass to see if that hurts you in any way. But with that in mind, I went to this other AMC, and when I went to the box office to use my MoviePass, there were three lines. There was the VIP line to go pick up your early AMC, you know, uh, tickets that you purchased beforehand or whatever, you know, whatever the a- stubs, your stubs club bullshit. Mm-hmm. There's the yes, regular sir. general ticket line. But then there is the movie pass line. So there's an AMC in Woodland Hills, Woodland Hills, California, that has their own dedicated fucking movie pass line. So, uh, it it just it boggles my mind. It's like you're catering to Movie Pass, yet AMC, you still you you hate you hate Movie Pass, and you make it known that you hate Movie Pass. But I don't do. Do you think Movie Pass actually uh, actually makes up five percent of the movie going populace or whatever? Um, that doesn't seem too outlandish. I mean. You know, you figure they've got they've got the numbers to say they've got two million subscribers a month right now, um, and two million subscribers a month. Let's just say that you know we'll just go low. We'll say half of them use the service more than once a week. Um, that's four million tickets a month, and you know, so what? Forty eight million tickets a year. I could see how that would turn into 5% of the gross. Yeah. It it's it's fa- it's interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to the next 2 years to see what's going to happen because I I enjoy MoviePass. I do not want to be stuck with a freaking AMC membership and I don't even want to be stuck with a freaking uh Cinemark only membership. I like to play the field, you know. I, I like to see certain <laughs> movies at certain theaters. Which is what makes which is what makes MoviePass more tenable, I would think, as a corporation, because then it does nothing but behoove me as Cinemark or AMC to just be like, all right, well, let's you know, let's get MoviePass people some deals so they're more likely to come to us. Yeah, uh, and then we don't have to worry about whether or not we're getting eight bucks a month or whatever. I mean, because Cinemark's deal is not good. It's it's not a good deal at all. I so well, you know. Uh, so folks, whatever. go over to markettech.com and spend your money there. Then think about getting a movie pass. Yeah, hey, a subscription on Twitch is like 5 bucks a month. So I mean, you know, you can do more than that if you want. But I mean, a subscription on Twitch is literally like 5 bucks a month. And with that, you can get tons of emotes and lots of other perks and special chat sessions and access to Discord servers and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, and and Wait, that, that can Matt, be a Matt, lot we're of not, We're not getting paid for this. We're not getting paid for oh, this. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's see here. Uh, you know what? I think I am just going to. Well, you know what? No, I'm going to do my double shot of news real quick. Um, let's see here. So also from MSN.com by way of Fox News and Alexandra Diebler, Sony apologizes for controversial Peter Rabbit scene, which, quote, made light, end quote, of food allergies. Yes, that's right, folks. (sighs) 
because Antifa has somehow made their way into the food allergy movement. Sony Pictures Entertainment has issued an apology over a controversial scene in its new film, Peter Rabbit, during which a character with an allergy to blackberries is attacked with the offending foodstuffs. <sighs> yeah, okay, so basically, here's what's up. All right. The new film, Peter Rabbit, based on Beatrix Potter's children book of the same name, was released back on February 9th, but soon began receiving backlash on social media over its treatment of the allergy-afflicted character. In the film, Mr. McGregor, Peter Rabbit's enemy, passes away, and his nephew Tom comes to oversee the vegetable patch and exterminate the, quote, vermin, end quote, right? Uh, it is Tom McGregor, the villain of the film, whom the audience and Peter Rabbit learns has an allergy to blackberries. In one scene, the rabbits throw blackberries at Tom aiming for his mouth. Tom goes into anaphylactic shock and turns red before stabbing himself with an EpiPen. Um, so apparently there's a charity organization out there called Allergy UK and the CEO uh, got all pissed off and told the Telegraph, quote, anaphylaxis canon does kill to include a scene in a children's film that includes a serious allergic reaction and not to do it responsibly is unacceptable as is bullying. And I'm going to stop the quote there, the quote does continue, but it's not, um, it, it doesn't affect the tone of what I just quoted. So there, there is no more context that you need on that. Um, it's not bullying to make fun of something in a fucking fantasy movie that uses a CGI fucking rabbit from a story from a hundred years ago. I just, I don't understand why Sony felt the need to apologize. I, I, I feel bad for Sony that they were put into a position that they had to come up with an apology for this. This is fucking stupid. Do, do we need to apologize for Bugs Bunny when he puts the tonic and Elmer Fudd's hair and causes this weird strand of hair to grow all over the place because somehow bald people are inferior and they can't do anything unless they got special tonic put on by a fucking animated rabbit? No. Why? Because it's a joke. And it's in a movie, in a skit, in an animated short. And this is a movie, an anim a CGI movie of all things. With live action elements, of course. But it's just like talking to your kids about, hey, so you see Bunny, you see Bugs Bunny here. You see Tom and Jerry, right? Yes, mom. Yes, dad. You see how they just bashed each other on the head with a hammer? Yep. That was pretty funny because it's so crazy, right? Yep. But would we do that in real life? No. Why? Because it could hurt somebody. Okay, great. So it's the same kind of thing here. Hey, now, this is funny and silly because this is the bad guy, right? Yep, mom. Yep, dad. But we know that people with food allergies, you got to be careful of that stuff, right? Yep. Cool. Done. I, I mean, do people just not... Are you afraid that people don't know how to talk to children? I... I just, I'm so infuriated by this flames, flames coming on the side of my face. Well, it's my not eyes. like they're going to see the movie anyway because they're offended. So it's like, what's the point of apologizing? I mean, uh, that's, that, that's the thing though. It's like, you, you, you apologize for this. You come out with Adam Sandler movies. You come out with really shitty Adam Sandler shit and you're apologizing for, you made, that's my boy with Adam. You made Jack and Jill and you're apologizing for Peter Rabbit. Christ I mean, on it. And that's what gets me. It's like, 
these people are just, it seems like they are just paid to be offended about something. Equating something as a joke that's clearly meant to be a joke and clearly meant to be slapstick comedy as bullying is fucking stupid. Yeah. Oh, and wait, 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 wait. Did, did we check to people. make sure that our sponsor is not also sponsored by the World British uh, Food yes, Allergy I don't Association? Believe, I don't believe that our sponsor is uh, in any way affiliated with Allergy UK. I think we're in the clear. Yeah. And it's the, it's the, it's the British that are, that are pissed off. Like, I, are they going to boycott James Corden also? I mean, are they also going to boycott James <laughs> Corden because... He has a popular talk show in the U.S. and not in the U.K. I, it like, I mean, food allergies. I, ugh, it's 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 frustrating. It's frustrating. You know what I watched last night that I cannot believe got made. Hmm. Tropic Thunder. I rewatched Tropic Thunder for the first time in <laughs> since I since I probably saw the movie theater last, and. It, it's it's a funny movie and all, but you I like do you remember what the people got upset about? What the big hoopla was ten years ago? Because this movie came out almost ten years ago, which is amazing. The big hoopla was not Robert Downey Jr. with uh, playing the character who gets the black uh, skin pigmentation uh, right. procedure to to portray this uh, uh, African American character in this movie. No, it that did not. That was not the big hoopla. The big hoopla, the big, the big, uh, the big uh, anchor hoopla, was over Simple Jack. <laughs> oh my God! I just, yeah, I just, I, I don't even know what to do with with, with this kind of crap anymore. I, I just. I don't know. I just feel like we need some kind of cosmic lifeguard who we just hear this weird shrill whistling noise and we just hear that's it out of the gene pool and be done. And I, I envisioning my head is the, the Yahweh uh, character in South Park, the big dreidel God thing <laughs> that comes down and, Talks like this and takes care of things because he... I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. All right. So we both clearly uh, feel that Sony should not have had to apologize for this. So last piece for me real quick. Uh, again, from MSN.com by way of Variety and Justin Kroll. Uh, this was an exclusive for them as of the 8th of February. So uh, just about a week ago. We're recording on the 15th here. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix in talks to play the Joker in Todd Phillips' standalone movie. Yeah, that's right, folks. Joaquin Phoenix is in talks to play the clown Prince of Crime in Warner Brothers and Todd Phillips' untitled Joker origin movie. While studio negotiations are not yet underway, Phillips has made it clear that Phoenix is the top choice to star, and sources uh, told Variety that, after thinking it over, Phoenix has agreed to the role. Uh, Warner Brothers had no comment. Uh, this movie would fall under a yet-to-be-announced new banner of DC Comics, which would give the studio the opportunity to expand the canon of iconic comic book characters with unique story angles that aren't included 
in its current cinematic universe. Uh, there's a little bit more to that article. That was about the first half of that article, kind of short. Uh, but still worth reading. So again, check that out over at msn.com by way of Variety and Justin Kroll. Joaquin Phoenix and talks to play the Joker in Todd Phillips' standalone movie. I am actually really excited about this idea. I think Joaquin Phoenix would be a very interesting Joker. And I like the idea of having a standalone story that doesn't necessarily have to involve Batman and also doesn't necessarily have to be canon. Um, it can just create its own offshoot thing and not need sequels. I really like this idea and I hope that it works and takes off Tim thoughts, sir. Um, sure. I mean, it seems like right now Warner Brothers just needs to do something right. Like they need to, they need to get something that they can rely on. But originally it was Leonardo DiCaprio as the Joker. Uh, do you prefer Joaquin Phoenix over DiCaprio? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And Definitely. Could you imagine how Jared Leto feels about this? Like, he's uh, he's the Joker in one movie. <laughs> His character was a little misguided. But still, I think, you know, something else could have been tweaked and he would have been fine. But, you know, then you're sitting there and it's like, oh, oh, now it's Joaquin. First it was Leonardo DiCaprio, now it's Joaquin Phoenix. What the hell? Like, you know, it Sure. Yeah. And for whatever it's worth, the article does happen to note that uh Leto is likely to reprise uh the Joker role in Suicide Squad two. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how it happens. And that would make sense, again, because this standalone movie isn't supposed to have anything to do with the other stuff, which I like the idea of. I, I think maybe they might actually be on to something, so We'll see. And that is my news, sir. What have you got for us? All right. Well, actually, I have two pieces of news. One of them, Matthew, I did not clear with you during pre-show, uh, <gasps> but it's very it's very interesting. Um, both of them from www.express.co.uk. Uh, the first article is entitled, James Bond Casino Royale Prequel Forever and a Day Confirmed for 2018 release. Yes. That's correct. For a 2018 release. And this was indeed published on Saturday, February 10th of this year and updated on Monday, February 12th of this year. So, yes, when they say 2018, they're meaning 2018. Uh, And it says this, James Bond returns in an unofficial, excuse me, in an official prequel to Ian Fleming's Casino Royale titled Forever in a Day and will be penned by Anthony Horowitz. Originally published in 1953, Casino Royale was author Ian Fleming's first Bond novel. Despite it covering one of 007's early missions, the story didn't become a film in the official franchise. David Nimitz's 1967 spoof and Barry Nelson's 1954 TV version do not count until Daniel Craig's 2006 debut when it was used as a reboot. Now Anthony Horowitz, who penned 2015 Bond novel Trigger Mortis, has the Fleming's estates permission to write an official prequel to the original novel. Speaking with The Guardian, the 62-year-old teased, quote, We're exploring what might have been Bond's first missions and imagining some of the forces that might have turned him into the iconic figure that the whole world knows. 
end all quote. Well, actually, no, it goes on from there. Horowitz added, quote, I couldn't have been happier when the Ian Fleming estate invited me back to write a second bond, end quote. While Fergus Fleming, Ian's nephew, confirmed the book was, quote, in the best tradition of Ian Fleming, end quote, Forever in a Day will begin with the last 007's body being discovered off the coast of Marcel, having been, quote, killed by an unknown hand, end quote. The book will be published on May 31st and will include original material written by Fleming, who died in 1964. And... This is going to sound really dumb, folks, but in reading that, I kind of realized something. That since this has been updated, I realized that when they updated it, it is now clear it's talking about a book, not <laughs> not a movie. Because originally, how it was written, I guess before the update, I could have sworn it mentioned something about they're going to make it into a movie also, um, so I, uh, yeah, so I mean, guess what? It very well could be a movie. It very well could be a movie. Uh, but yes, coming out in 2018 is a, a Casino Royale prequel, um, uh, uh, the, you know, whatever it's called. Um, but Matthew, question, um, would you like to see a prequel to Casino Royale, a movie? And if so, would you like to see Daniel Craig in that prequel or would you like to see them... Reboot it again with somebody else and start taking the series in a different direction. No, no, and no. No to seeing a prequel to Casino Royale. No to seeing any form or fashion of a prequel with Daniel Craig. And no to seeing um, them try and reboot and start over again with someone new in any way, shape, or form. Just move on. You And it doesn't matter because they got Craig anyway. So that would be foolish. Um, when they do go with a new Bond, I'm happy for them to go in another direction. I don't care if they want to start the new Bond from a trainee's perspective and kind of show the struggle of becoming a double O. I thought you said from a Chinese perspective. <laughs> No. <laughs> Trainees. We want, we want James Bond to turn Chinese, to go Chinese. For... But, um, I mean, but seriously, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that, that that's fine. Um, and maybe even with Bond passing, you know, with Craig passing the torch or something like that. Um, that might be fun. That could, if, you know, if handled correctly. But no, there's no, especially with something where they've kind of, you know, had a, a, a an existing kind of, unwritten agreement where outside of the Craig Daniel Craig Bond universe Bond was interchangeable you know um, you can like your Bond you can like the series you can like the way the movies are going but when Bond needed to be replaced you just move the series forward keep things going on in canon and it's just there's a just a new double O agent uh, using the code name of James Bond so you know whatever but we live in an age where people don't understand this concept, so I don't think it's going to matter. They're just going to do it anyway. Yeah. And uh, lastly here, again from www.express.co.uk, 
Uh, John Gavin dead. Yes, I'm ending the news on an RIP high note or low note, depending on how you look at it. John Gavin dead, the American star who almost played James Bond over Sean Connery. Yes, this here was written by George Simpson and published on Saturday, February 10th. And it said this, or it says this. The Hollywood actor passed away on Friday morning, aged 86, after battling leukemia. Gavin is best known for playing Julius Caesar opposite Kirk Douglas in Spartacus and the role of Sam Loomis in Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Aside from acting, he had a short spell in politics, being the U.S. ambassador to Mexico from 81 to 86 during President Ronald Reagan's administration. But what isn't so well known about the late star is that he almost became the first American actor to portray James Bond in the official film franchise. After George Lazenby quit 007 having only appearing in 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Gavin was offered Bond as his replacement. Being due to star in 71's Diamonds Are Forever, the actor's hopes were crushed when Connery decided to return for his sixth outing. Come 1973, he was also set for Live and Let Die, but producers went with Sir Roger Moore because they felt Bond should be played by a British actor. That is, of course, despite the fact that Lazenby was an Australian. Speaking of which, Chris Hemsworth has admitted he'd be interested in being the next Bond. Um... According to uh, Hollywood Life, he said, quote, Yeah, I mean, I think my actor would, uh, I think any actor would jump on that opportunity. I certainly, I am certainly a fan. Uh, end all quotes there. Actually, I think that was Chris Hemsworth saying that. Uh, they don't make it clear. Uh, but anyways, regardless, Matthew, did you know that this fellow here, John Gavin, almost became the first American actor to portray James Bond? I was unaware. It would have been absolutely fascinating because I—I I mean, I mean, I, off the top of my head, I can definitely think of him in as Sam Loomis in Psycho. It, I mean, he's a very good-looking guy. He has a distinct voice, uh, his own distinct voice. Uh, I mean, he's a—I mean, he—he he, he definitely looks like James Bond. But I, it would have been so bizarre. To have a charming, um, I don't know, but it, it, I think it would have been a neat contrast to see if James Bond, if it's all in the voice, if it's in, if it's in the dialect, or if it's the charm, the charisma, you know, the body language, the suaveness of the character. Um, it, it would just been interesting to to compare, you know, to see if really the the voice had anything to do with it. But then you also kind of wonder, like, is was he going to be MI six still or? Would Bond now be in based out of America? Like, would he be CIA? It, you know, it would have been interesting. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, it would have. Yeah, I definitely think it would have been fun. Now, that would be a cool way to spin it off, to have it actually have it take place in America or even another country. I mean, you know, you can have other countries have their own secret military organizations. So. Well, there is a book apparently called, or a short story by Ian Fleming called James Bond in New York or something like that. So it's a horrible title, but I mean, there's still, I think there's still that story they can do. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, is that all of your news, sir? That would be my news. 
All right. Well, now that we've concluded the news and we've got a good break in the show, why don't we give a word from our sponsor? Tim. Tim! God! What the hell is that racket? What are you doing? Just trying to find a Twitch stream worth watching. That's what's up. Wow. That's an impressive amount of noise considering it's 2018 and you're using the internet. Come on, man. Look, are you going to help me out or not? Fine. What are you interested in? That's part of the problem. I'm not exactly into one specific genre. Ah, so then you need something like Rocket League or Hearthstone one day, CSGO or PUBG the next, maybe new games like Dragon Ball Fighter Z on other nights, right? Exactly! That would work. Well, how do you feel about community involvement? Am I being sentenced or something? <laughs> not exactly. Do you like to live chat and play games with the streamer or vote on which games get streamed? Oh, that! Yeah, sure! But it, it's not a requirement, though, is it? Of course not. Well, where does one find this haven on Twitch? Easy! Just go to twitch.tv slash Markitect or reach out directly via Twitter at Markitect Twitch. How do you spell Markitect? M-A-R-K-I-T-E-C-T. Nice! Now, we all know this. I'm a slow typist here. Can you give it to me again? Sure! Twitch.tv slash Markitect and at Markitect Twitch for Twitter. That's twitch.tv slash Markitect and at Markitect Twitch for Twitter. I'm on it. Thanks. What a great word from our sponsor, Tim, don't you think? I think so, Matthew. <laughs> now, audience, do you think that was an excellent word from our sponsor? That is, that, that will truly be the um, defining factor is what the audience thinks. So, um, But speaking of the audience, they probably want to... Here's some movie stuff, right? I would think so, yeah. We we have a very interesting assortment of movies this week. We sure do. So without further ado, it's the movies. <laughs> And this week's movies are uh, 2017's The Square, On Body and Soul, and Loving Vincent. Uh, the Square and On Body and Soul are some foreign films that have been nominated. And Loving Vincent is uh, an animated film that was nominated. We did initially want to try and get a couple more of the foreign flicks in for this week. Unfortunately, uh, due to release schedules... Uh, looks like it's gonna be a, probably another two episodes before we can get, uh, the last of all of the movies in, just to make sure they come out, uh, in theaters where everybody can get a chance to see them. Yeah, I don't know what so, I was thinking. I thought we'd be able to see them for this episode, but. I was, uh, I was looking forward to it. So, yeah. you know, sometimes it's nice to take weekend trips to Austin. I got family in Austin and, uh, I know that, uh, like there's some, there, one of them I think is coming out in Plano. So I can go and see some good old friends in, uh, Plano and Dallas and stuff. So, uh, you know, it, it's kind of cool because these more obscure films that don't come out in Houston, but do hit certain art house areas, uh, in other parts of the state. That gives me an excuse to take a day trip or maybe a weekend and, you know. A day trip to beautiful Plano, Texas. That's right. <laughs> go see the Frito-Lay plant. Yes. Are you seriously? There's a Frito-Lay plant? The Frito-Lay plant. Really? That's where Frito... Yeah, it's corporate headquarters are in Plano. Do they make Do they make the chili Frito? 
Frito tasting chili Fritos there? <laughs> um, I gotta, I, I gotta be honest with you. I, I know a certain level of the distribution is there. Um, and the actual corporate offices are there, but I, other than their test kitchens, I, I don't know offhand how much of the physical production is in Plano. Huh. What do you do for a living? I work in a test kitchen. Oh, like for food? Yeah. Oh, that must be great. Uh, it's for Frito-Lay. I just eat a bunch of Fritos. <laughs> hey, you know, so, I mean, those Doritos Blaze chips that they p- showed you at the Super Bowl, they had to come from somewhere. That's true. Yeah. So there are hmm. chefs and scientists that get paid six-figure incomes to do that stuff. So, I don't know. That was one of the cool things back when I was a kid. And I lived out in Dallas. Um, one of my neighborhood friends, his mom actually was one of the food scientists who worked in the test kitchens at Frito Lay. Oh shit! Really? Yeah. And huh. I got to I got to actually try um, a prototype microwave popcorn, Chester Cheetahs microwave popcorn, and it it never came out. Um, and it wasn't even cheese flavored, which I thought was weird. Why is they got Chester Cheetah if it's not cheese flavored popcorn? Um, but it was really good. I remember it being really great microwave popcorn. Uh, and then of course they had two pantries at his house. Um, one was an actual pantry, you know, with the canned goods and the bread and, you know, whatever else you, you know, you generally put in your pantry. And the other pantry was literally nothing but Lay's, Fritos, Cool Ranch Doritos, <laughs> you know, cheat, all that, all that shit. So, are they yeah. still there? Can you still open the bag up and eat them? <laughs> well, um, I, I definitely lost touch with them uh, over the years, but man, if I could get a hold of Brandon again, that would be great. So, anyway, Memories but, but we have movies on to talk the about. SLS cast. <laughs> That's right. Misty water-colored Frito-Lay memories of the way we ate. Wait, hang on. I think we, we might have had a show title there, folks. Misty-colored. <laughs> Misty water-colored Frito-Lay memories. <laughs> colored Frito-Lay memory. Perfect. Show title. Job Yay. done. Outstanding. All right. So, where do we want to go first, sir? Do we want to take out the, uh, we want to knock out the animated film first? Do we want to do one or both of the foreign films? Where do you want to start? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go from, uh, least liked to most liked. I'm, I'm going to think that, that you're, you're probably, you might be in the same boat as me. Um, I'm going to go with as least liked being, on body and soul. Oh, I'm so sorry. But oh, yeah. really? That was actually my favorite movie this week. Really? Really, really. I couldn't even tell you what happens at the end. I don't remember. <laughs> um, so, okay. You might need to do a little bit of spoiler. Um, I, okay. I mean, it's not really much. All right. So here we go. On Body and Soul, we, we don't we don't really have a way to do a trailer for this one because it's a foreign film and it is completely subtitled. So please go to YouTube and uh, do a search for On Body and Soul uh, trailer so that you can check this out. Uh, it's a 2017 Hungarian drama film, and basically it deals with Andre and Maria who work together in a slaughterhouse, and they go through this kind of corporate testing thing that 
is evaluating all as kind of like all aspects of their psyche um, for generic corporate reasons, right? Just insert whatever generic corporate reason you need. Corporate overlord. Um, they literally are having the same dreams every night, and it's a and it's a recurring dream where they are both deer in a forest. Now, sometimes the forest is lush and green. Sometimes the forest is more uh, of, of bright foliage. And sometimes the forest is uh, covered in snow. It's like winter uh, kind of stuff. And, and honestly, I kind of thought that it was elk, not deer, but you know, whatever. So they literally end up in the same room by accident and and confess to each other that they have the same um that they have the same dreams. And so when they realize, hang on, we're literally having the same dreams, the dreams in nature and the dreams that they have of bonding and moving together is really kind of beautiful in the dream world. And so they construe this to mean that they are meant to be together in the real world. Bearing in mind that, you know, if, from an audience perspective, that dreams can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Dream interpretation is a very, very open kind of a thing. And so they go on this misadventure of literally trying to recreate their dreams in real life and incorporate the meanings of those dreams into a relationship and there's not really a way for these two things to work together but they try anyway and so that's where kind of the heart and soul it's almost as if eternal sunshine of the spotless mind was more couple centric okay instead of focused on jim carrey it would be more couple centric and strictly dealing with dreams um instead of just kind of brainwave interpretation like they do in eternal sunshine um it's a really clever movie and it's real, and I love the dream sequence. I'm not, which is weird because generally I'm not, I'm not a super huge fan of dream sequences. Um, not because I don't respect them or appreciate them. They just, you know, just generally not my cup of tea. Uh, and they tend to go on too long and they tend to try and be a little too artistic. Um, and they bank on that as kind of like, it can mean anything. Like, are you really supposed to pick apart that Deckard is a unicorn and because he's a unicorn, he's now a replicant, right? It's, it's that kind of thing. Um, so, but in this film, I really feel like they did it right, mainly because they used the dreams as an impetus to do things in real life. And then when things start going to shit, nobody seems to get it. And it's because, Dreams can mean whatever you want them to mean. And so it's a really clever movie. The only thing that I, the, the only thing that kind of, um, did was I think that they, they pulled it too far. Um, in a, in an attempt to make the characters, um, I guess to make the characters stand out a la the lobster, right? With Colin Farrell. Um, 
they I think I think they just the characterizations just went too far and, and I think that's more on the director than on the char- than on the actor and the actress um uh Geza Morksenil or Morksenai uh who played Andre and Alexandra Bor- Borbelli as Maria um I I don't put that on them as much as I do on the director's shoulders. And so it just makes it hard to really relate with the characters and really follow along, um, especially as the movie progresses. But I think that the concept is really cool. And I liked the idea of the dream world. And I, and I liked watching things not work out. I guess maybe I was in a weird mood this week. I, I don't know. Um, so I give this one a 3.75. I, I like the movie. I think it's got, um, I think it's got a lot of promise and, um, it, it's definitely not perfect. It's definitely flawed. I feel like it's for sure too long. Um, but it's got a lot of really cool stuff going for it too. So 3.75. What do you got there, Tim? <laughs> And if you thought on Body and Soul was too long, just wait till you hear Matt's review of The Square coming up next. <laughs> um, I, I hate to disappoint people because I'm gonna, I, I, I really wish I could really talk about this movie. I wish we could have a, a, a great conversation about this movie. But I don't really feel compelled that this movie really needs any great conversation after watching it or really uh uh you know uh uh not not instigates it but i guess ignites the conversation within view the you know the people who watched it together um but i i, I will say this the movie is not overly artistic which is good but it's still slow and repetitive for the sake, I think, for the sake of being slow and repetitive, because it's trying to put you in the in the mindset of these characters, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but the movie itself begins feeling a little stagnant. And once the movie feels stagnant, once the characters feel stagnant, once the plot feels a little stagnant, once your you know, your caring for anything feels a bit stagnant. You you start to wonder, well, what's the point? And so there's this stagnant period when nothing new, nothing fresh, nothing interesting happens. Um, that uh, that that once it becomes interesting again, or once it starts moving towards something, I, I just really didn't care all too much, or maybe as much as I should. Once it got to uh, you know the one-two punch, I guess at the end of the flick. Um, it, it did, but it's, it's one of those movies that's just, it just feels like it's too long because it, it, it thinks that it has to be long. Like it's about, I think it's an hour and 50 minutes, uh, give or take a couple minutes for, uh, for trailer or for credits. Um, it, like it, it, maybe it would have been different if I saw that a movie theater and not on Netflix. I mean, maybe that could have done something, but I just saw a fantastic film a couple days ago called a fantastic woman. Or maybe I should have said I saw a, a truly great film called A Fantastic Woman. But anyways, uh, but it was a fantastic movie. And it's a, the Chilean movie that is up for the Academy Award for uh, you know Best Foreign Flick. It, it's a wonderful movie because it's 95 minutes long. 
the movie is not slow whatsoever. It's visually beautiful to look at. The characters are interesting. The characters have personality. Just there's so much richness to the film as a whole that it just completely blows this film out of the water. It makes this film look like, it makes On Body uh, and Soul look like it's trying to be something, uh, overly trying to be artistic when it doesn't have to be. When it could just tell the story and just be upfront about it without having to make it look overly polished. And I will, I, and I don't want to make it seem like that this movie doesn't have character because it does have character. In fact, um, I, I forget, I, I'm my, I'm sorry, my uh, my computer is running slow, my internet's running slow, so I've been having to look up stuff on my phone, so I don't have IMDb or anything pulled up, but uh, the the guy, the, the lead actor, he's very stone-faced, he's very reserved, but he does let out some nuance that once you get used to it, and once you are okay with it or familiar with it, you start to understand and you start to enjoy it. And that that guy did have a very interesting character. He had a he was very unique. And so did the girl once you got over her overly quirkiness. Um it, it, it's like the movie felt like it was in limbo. I couldn't tell if it was trying to be one thing or another. Was this movie that um that was supposed to be quirky but yet it still is kind of quirky? Was it trying to be quirky in a more human way? Well, does that really work because of what this movie is trying to accomplish or what this movie actually... I mean, for the first 10 minutes of the movie or the first 15 minutes of the movie, I forget how long it actually was, I wanted to throw up. (laughs) I mean, because you're literally watching real cows, like, get slaughtered. And somehow, you know, for some, some rhyme or reason, it's supposed to mirror... Uh, the themes of this movie, which I uh, just really didn't quite get, you know, uh, so there's just a weird unbalance. And surprisingly, I'm still giving this movie a three out of five. And a lot of that is because of the character work. And I thought the overall story was pretty interesting. It's 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 very it's a very interesting love story. And um, that doesn't come around too often. So three out of five. Matt, I do got to ask, were you a little bit turned off by the whole slaughterhouse uh, imagery? Or did you actually feel like it worked with what the movie was going or trying to say? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I I liked the idea of the juxtaposition. Not to mention, um, I, I think that much like the relationship in the film has a lot of problems and goes through all these goes through all this weird stuff forget about the characterizations for a minute when you break down to what goes into a relationship especially one based on you know these dreams it's kind of like the old adage no one likes to see how the sausage gets made and that's why i thought that's why the slaughterhouse scene didn't bother me um, I just took it as part of the setup. I took it as part of the existence of where these people are and also provided it as a great contrast to these serene, loving animal nature dreams, right? That these people are having while they work at a slaughterhouse. Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense. So I don't know. I don't know. maybe I owe this movie another watch 
because clearly, clearly, uh, you know, watching it from the comfort of my couch, um, what you know was not very effective, I suppose. But <laughs> all right, so you gave it a three point seven five. I gave it a three. Yes, sir. I, I, dare I say the next movie is the square? Uh, that is my lowest rated movie of the week. Okay, sir. we're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. <laughs> uh, okay, now this is definitely a funky trailer because I went ahead and checked out the trailer before I went ahead and watched the movie because I was really kind of confused by it because I initially thought there was only one, The Square, and it turns out there's like six different movies called The Square and they're all about different things and they're all different styles of movies and stuff. Um, so... This particular trailer is interesting. Are we going to do a trailer for this one? Because this trailer is in English uh, and in German and in French, I think, too. So, um, probably <laughs> not. <laughs> if I if I can find a scene between him and uh, and uh, Elizabeth Moss, quite possibly. Maybe maybe the one that isn't the sloppy, sweaty sex scene. Oh yeah, most of their stuff. Honestly, um, their initial interview when he's like completely falling all over himself and doesn't answer the question about the piece that she's asking about. Um, that's a pretty good component of one of the trailers that I watched. So, um, and it's in English for whatever that's worth. Oh, okay. So uh, maybe, anyway. maybe, maybe. <laughs> what are the biggest challenges in running a museum? We're a museum of modern and contemporary art, so we need to present art that is the art of today, art that is absolutely cutting edge, and the competition is fierce. If you place an object in a museum, mm. for instance, if we took your bag and placed it here, would that make it art? Ah. Okay. Would you say that you take women that you don't know very well and have sex with them? You know their names? Yeah. So what's my name? All right. Well, that's a long way to go around to tell tell you about The Square, which is a 2017 Swedish satirical drama film. Uh, and it is a movie about uh, the publicity surrounding an art installation and uh, the man who is in charge of not just the installation, but the uh, publicity and basically the museum itself. Um, so we got this guy named Christian who is... Um, who feels that he is the end-all, be-all of what it means to lead in the art world. Now, he's a, just a curator of a museum, but he's a good-looking cat. It's a very popular and avant-garde museum. Um, and yet, while it is avant-garde, it is extremely respected. Um, he um, ends up meeting this woman named Anne, and they... 
um, they, they have a relationship, if you want to call it that, which then leads poor Christian on a, I guess a, just a whirlwind of shenanigans. His phone ends up missing. His wallet ends up missing. Families are destroyed. Sex is had and art is made. Um, and it's really just kind of following the, and, while they're following Christian going through all of this stuff and also certain B-plots going through, it's wrapped around this idea of the square, which is this art installation that brings peace and wonder to all those inside the square. The thing is, is it's just like a square. It's literally just like an LED track, right? And so it's art, but in and of itself, it's boring. So what do we do? And when we decide what we want to do, how does that affect the people involved, the museum involved, and the people who make things happen? Again, falling to Christian. So this film, for me, um, works really, really hard to try and do a lot of things. Um, and it does do all of those things. It's ticking boxes on art, sex, life, um, the concept of identity, uh, the concept of family. And I, I mean the concept of family loosely because um, of a young boy who is involved in this uh, film uh, and, and directly as a result of Christian's um, wallet and phone being stolen. The um, concept of responsibility, of ownership, and um, what it means to make art mean something so it's a lot of stuff that it's got to do and it does hit all of those things um it takes too long to hit all of those things and it doesn't hit all of those things well i think this movie needed to be at least 40 minutes shorter um and i think that this movie needed to much like ladybird needed to cut down on a couple of the b plots um and and that's really all I can say about the movie. I really wasn't overly impressed with the movie. Um I I think that the, it had a lot of promise and it's got a it's got a really really interesting premise as well. I just think the execution is is not it's just not where it should be. So, I give this one a 2.75 out of 5. Um uh, you know, I and, and there are there are plenty of people who like it, and I can see why, but it just not not for me. I'm sorry, not for me. Two point seven five out of five. <laughs> if anyone has seen a Ruben Oslin film, they understand describing his movies is uh, tricky. The way Ruben works is highly unusual. I've never worked like this before, and it's incredibly challenging. It's almost entirely improv. And you basically do one scene a day and you just do it over and over and over and over and over and over. Every day was challenging in that sense. Um, I play a journalist, Clay Spang's character, the lead of the film. I come to interview him, but I'm not a very good journalist. And uh, then I end up sort of stalking him because I have a crush on him. Uh, I don't know if there's a whole lot I can identify with. She's a bit crazy. She's, well, she's just a little wacky. But 
we do tackle this sort of thing that happens once you um, sleep with somebody. How Ruben puts it is there's a bit of a contract that's kind of formed. And how do men and women, heterosexual men and women, navigate that? And how do they um, deal with that in very different ways sometimes? And uh, I think we deal with it in humorous, but also very honest ways. What do you got there, Tim? This is a very long movie. I think it's like two and a half hours and I know I'm the type of person, or I am the person, because I just said it, that I don't like movies being long for the sake of being long, um, unless there's a point to it. This movie, uh, this movie is weird because it's long for the sake of being long. I mean, because that's literally what the director has said. Uh, it's the same director that directed the movie Force Majeure, who we, uh, which we saw, I think it was nominated two years ago, uh, two or three years ago, that we reviewed. It was about the, f- the, the family in a cabin. The husband and wife are, like, going through this crazy uh, fight or something, and then the avalanche hits. Do you, do you remember that movie? Is that two years ago? I thought it was last year. No, I think it was probably two years ago. But what I remembered about that movie, I thought it was good, but it just really didn't, like, all the ducks just didn't line up just right. Like, it's a very interesting idea, but nothing ever really comes out of it. With The Square... It's two and a half hours long because it itself is trying to do something artistic. Uh, the movie is loosely based on the director's own art installation that he had some years ago. Um, it's also loosely based on various other characters of the art world, like uh, the guy who's pretending to be the gorilla, like he's encapsulating the essence of being a gorilla. Well, uh, I forget the guy's name, but there is definitely a famous artist who, uh, or performance artist, I should I should say, performance artist in Russia who pretended to be a dog. Not I shouldn't say pretended; he became a dog. In fact, he bit off. I believe he bit. A, it was a reporter's ear. He bit a reporter's ear, and he's naked. He was taking shits all on himself. He was pissing on the side of the road. He took a lot of, there were a lot of pictures of him getting fucked by dogs or something like that. Like really weird art that some people consider art, but a lot of us is like, this is way like, what's art. You're just doing something that nobody else wants to do. I I don't really consider that, you know, art, but whatever. Um, this movie doesn't go to that extreme. The most extreme it, it goes in that uh, in the direction of performance art is that there's the character, which you've seen, and if you've seen the movie poster for, who is, uh, who's taking on the essence of, uh, of a gorilla or an ape. And it is probably the best part of the movie, and if you're not expecting it, it very well may be worth the price of admission to watch this movie, because it is a phenomenal scene. And on top of that, it's a phenomenal character story. And in watching that scene, it kind of clicked in my head that the overall meaning of this movie and why I think in a way I was not bored by it, why I was entertained, was that it was kind of poking fun. It, it was a, it, I mean, I should say it was a, it was a, it was a, uh, an obvious satire on the art world 
and that the movie was talking about culture and it was talking about how we're all, especially people in the arts, you know, everybody's talking about how we want to raise money. We want to do stuff for people with, uh, for the homeless people, people with lower income. Our art is influenced by the homelessness. Think of, uh, derelict from, Z- from Zoolander, you know, derelict, the fashion of the homeless. I mean, yeah, even Zoolander was, was critiquing uh, fashion when, you know, in the stuff and so in a, in a cheeky way. Um, but then, you know, you know, people, they want to raise money. They want to do something for, uh, poverty and for people of various, uh, you know, suffering from various, uh, things and whatnot that whenever we go to, a store and see a, a panhandler. We don't want to. We don't want to do anything about it. Then, like once we're faced with it, we don't want to do anything right now. It's just like everybody wants to work towards doing something. Like that's what they're that was that's what they feel most comfortable doing. And so I thought that was very interesting. Um, and the reason why I brought up his previous movie, Force Majeure, it was because very much like Force Majeure. This movie doesn't really go anywhere. Like, the whole build-up to the kid, uh, like, there's this little kid who is accusing the guy, uh, 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 Christian, of basically ruining his life. (laughs) You have this little kid whose life is being ruined, and then at this time you have Christian's life, who some would think is being ruined because of something very uh, risque uh, uh, happens in relation to the, uh, the museum and he gets blamed for it. Um, and and he goes to mend things with the kid and nothing just ever really comes out of it. It's same thing goes with Elizabeth Moss. Um, uh, you know, and I just really, I, I don't know if maybe it's because it warrants a second viewing. I will definitely watch the movie again, but it's like I just don't even know where to begin with that stuff. And this is this is separate from I get. I totally get the overall satire. You know, I get that. And I think that's very good. And that I think is what made this movie well worth it. It's just I just don't like I don't get how you 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 hit the nail perfectly on the head to leave so many of these strong B plots, in my opinion, B plot, uh, strong B plots, open ended. You know, like there, there, there has to be something I'm missing. I, but I, I just, I'm just not convinced there is anything I'm missing. Unlike Blade Runner 2049, where I'm convinced that if I go see it again, I'm going to catch certain things that I'm going to enjoy some more, uh, or, or which will lead to me enjoying the movie more. I, I'm just not convinced with, uh, with with the square. But then again, I am willing to go back and rewatch it. So that says something. And the movie is over two and a half hours long. So Matt, you gave it a 3.75 out of 5. Or excuse me. No, you gave it a 2.75 out 2. of 5. 2.75. Yeah, yes, sir, 2. I, I am 7. going to give this film a 3.5 out of 5. Well, okay then. Yeah. So... I built that up to something magnificent, and it's it's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, well, you know, we, we we do what we can. So that leaves us then with loving Vincent. You make it sound like it's a romantic comedy. Loving Vincent. 
Oh. <laughs> DreamWorks Animation presents Loving Vincent. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, here we go, folks. For reals now, Loving Vincent. Vincent van Gogh killed himself. How does a man go from calm to suicidal in six weeks? Vincent left this letter. Theo van Gogh. That's Vincent's brother, isn't it? I don't see the point in delivering a dead man's letter. So, if you had died and there was a letter out there that you had sent to me, I'd want it. So, what brings you to Orver? I want to do something for Vincent. You're not going to stir things up again, are you? We've had quite enough weeping over that nutcase. His neighbours and the police and the whole town <laughs> against an ill man. Vincent, what have you done? We all knew something was very wrong. Vincent! If only I could have been one of them. Great artists are not peaceful souls. <laughs> that is the price of your path. Is it worth it? Did he change his mind? Did he want to live after all? You want to know so much about his death. But what do you know of his life? What did you do for him? I would like to show by my work what this nobody has in his heart. Your loving Vincent. All right, so as your 2017 animated biographical drama film and basically about the life of uh, Vincent van Gogh, uh, and in particular the circumstances of his death. Now, what makes this film truly unique is that it is a completely hand-painted animated feature film. So they literally um, took all of van Gogh's work and made it in... in um, uh, made it into backdrops and animated backdrops, hand painted. They also did take some liberties and they used his work as a springboard to make other things, um, that they needed so that, you know, they would have the various paintings and settings and what have you. But, um, this film, this, this film, I think, is nominated as an animated feature. Um, Academy Award winner because of its um, I don't what's a what what's a polite way to say gimmick uniqueness um, yes uniqueness um, because look as much as the cynic in me wants to say it's just a gimmick it I I think it just goes to show that you truly can still do things in the world of hand animation that are beautiful and are worth seeing but beyond its uh unique claim to fame the story and the acting are pretty mediocre um in my opinion it's not a it's not a bad movie it's not bad it's just not really doing anything new other than giving you this just gorgeous, gorgeous backdrop. Um, and as, and also as gorgeous as it is, um, I, I feel like sometimes it 
not quite burdensome, but definitely induces a bit of eye strain um, over the course um, of its 95 minutes. Um, I don't think I would shorten it. I don't think I would change it. I just, um, I, I just think that given the subject matter, given what they chose to cover, I, I think it could have been something a little bit more, hmm. I think there could have been a little bit more meat to the story than what it was. That being said, this movie still gets a 3.25 out of 5. Uh, I like the movie. I am glad that I saw it. But I think this will fall into the category of, say, boyhood. Where um, it is something that is really great in its time and worth its viewing and worth having. Um but not something that's going to be like, oh, I got to watch this all the time. Oh, you got to sit down and watch this movie. Oh, I watch this movie at least twice a year. Or the, it'll just be something that you'll be like, wow, I remember that movie. And you'll pop it in every once in a while. Um, if that. The vast majority of people will watch this movie and go, well, that was neat. And leave it at that. So 3.25 out of 5. Bring us home, Tim. This is the very first animated film ever to be painted like every single frame of this movie is a painted picture not only is it a painted picture or is every just only any painting picture it is an oil painting on canvas which is phenomenal and this movie has i think i read sixty-five thousand frames so that's sixty-five thousand frames of oil paintings on canvas and it took uh, 120, 125-ish uh, painters to pull this off. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I think that could be... I think that's what made this movie a, a top contender to win the Academy Award. But like what Matt was saying, at least in my opinion... Not saying the Academy voters are going to uh, share the same opinions, because in these situations, I, <laughs> that's usually not the case. Um, uh, I, it cannot, I, don't, I mean, I don't think it's quite a gimmick. I think it's something that is truly unique, and I'm meaning unique in a good way. It's fascinating. It's beautiful. Um it's just that's all that it, it, there, it does. There's nothing after the first 30 minutes. There's nothing new. It, it's like whenever you see an action movie, the best kind of action movies are the ones that build up to the climatic, awesome boss fight scene at the end of the movie. You don't want to start off with your best fight scene at the beginning because then you have nothing to build up to. And... Or, or I guess you're, you know, an action spectacle. You know, you don't want to start your big action spectacle. You want to save the big explosions for the end. Um, with this movie, it, it's hard to really top itself <laughs> because it's 65,000 frames of oil paintings on canvas, you know? Like, what's fascinating are, are the different styles that they're achieving, the different styles of Van Gogh that they're achieving while, you know, uh, uh, throughout the various scenes of the film. And 
there was truly one thing that kind of blew me away closer to the end of the film. And it was one of the paintings that they took. Uh, and I, it's it's been about three, three and a half months since I've seen this. I've watched this movie. Yeah, I went to go see this movie. Um, there's a famous painting of his that I, I think it's of his psychiatrist or his doctor. Um, but it's the guy that that the character, the main character in the film is trying to talk to, is trying to get to, because apparently he was one of the last people to see Van Gogh before he killed himself. And there's this wonderful painting that Van Gogh made of this guy. And when you were first introduced to this guy, it's the shot of that painting and how he just transforms out of that still shot of that painting, you know, into, you know, the movie was just beautifully done yes it was obvious probably to most people who are familiar with this painting and i guess in some way in my mind it was obvious because i am a little bit familiar with that painting i just thought it was very interesting and it was very effective because the story is building up to seeing this character and they utilize that specific moment his reveal you know of you know that reveal to be that very interesting um I, I guess you could say uh fairy tellish mystical picture of, you know, of him to, you know, to introduce him. And I, just little touches like that throughout the movie, even when you're used to seeing all these beautiful things, keep this movie going, uh, keeps this movie going. And it keeps me invested and keeps me entertained. Do I necessarily care about the guy, the hipster looking dude who's kind of, your narrator slash main character in the movie. No, not really. In fact, I think he's pretty boring. He's very, he's not interesting whatsoever. Um, and when it comes down to it, it's really the story and how they're, how they were wanting to tell it that needs all that needed the most work. Um, regardless that goes without saying, I think it's still a very good movie and I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of five. Uh, guys, it's available to rent. You got to check it out. It's definitely, definitely worth your time. Fair enough. All right. Well, that does conclude our movies for this week. Next week's movies are nothing. That's right, folks. We're finally entering our Oscar predictions. But Matt, you haven't done all the movies. Tim, why are you letting Matt say these things? Here's why. We're actually going to be doing the first part of our Oscar predictions for episode 267. And we got a ton of categories that we're going to be covering. And we're going to go into it as in-depth as we can. We may or may not have some bonus news or anything of that nature um, in addition to our Oscar predictions, but we're primarily going to be focusing on those Oscar predictions for uh, cinematography, production design, visual effects, sound mixing, sound editing, music, original song and original score, costume design, makeup and hairstyling, and both writing categories of original and adapted screenplay, which leaves us for the following week for more Oscar predictions for episode 268 where we wrap up the remaining categories and give you the final reviews um, so that we can tie them into their respective categories and wrap everything up for you then. So, without further ado, I believe it is officially time for the spiel, is it not, sir? Spiel on! 
呢？ You can eat shit for all I care, Miss Sandstone, or eat anything that you like, or do anything that you like. Just don't assume that I want to know your troubles. Now, if you wouldn't mind, I'm a busy woman with a full day's work ahead of me. Please remove yourself from my office. You're a real cunt. Do you know that? A real fucking cunt. How can you be so shitty to people? How can you stand yourself? I guess there's just two kinds of people, Miss Sandstone. My kind of people and assholes. It's rather obvious which category you fit into. Have a nice day. It's a bird, bitch. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS cast. And again, this week, brought to you by Markitech Media, we encourage you to check out Markitech Media on Twitch every Saturday through Thursday, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Central Standard Time at TwitchTV slash Markitech. That's TwitchTV slash Markitech. And, of course, if you'd like to reach us directly here at the SLS cast, you can do so by sending an email to the show at slscast.com if you'd like to reach out to us on twitter that's just as the simple as at the slscast you can of course reach out to me this is matt on twitter at nitwit12345 you can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down tim on twitter if that's your heart's desire and of course you can always subscribe to us on stitcher radio and or favorite us on itunes or do it the other way around because that's fun too and catch us on the old SoundCloud. so until next week this is matt saying that thanks to helen mcquart McCrory, I get to say this. I feel as though my life is bathed in golden sunlight. And the really wonderful thing is that I know it. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.